certain activities are taken to be sort of worldly, mundane, um, interesting activities in normal everyday life actually have a or can have a really um, deep spiritual purpose to them that we may not even recognize at the time. So I thought I I would just talk about a few things, um, some taken from my own life that have that I only much later discovered um, were important in a spiritual sense as well. I, I thought I was just, you know, living my life and not particularly concerned about spirituality at all. And um, only years later did I discover that some of these activities had real value in that journey. So in high school, I was um, big into swimming. And our high school swim team had a coach. The only thing was he himself couldn't swim, literally couldn't swim. I began swimming competitively when I was, I think, 13. And all the way through high school, I never had a coach that could swim <laughs> at all. Uh, my swimming was self-taught, which was uh, turned out to be a, a good thing because it was uh, something that I had to learn almost from the inside out. Um, it was almost what I discovered much later that it was being mindful of my, how my body was moving and how it felt inside. So it wasn't, uh, I didn't learn it from outside instruction, like verbal instruction, do this with this arm and that with that leg. And um, it wasn't like that at all. It was just purely by feeling and what felt smooth or comfortable. Um, and anything that felt discordant was, um, I, I tried to learn to not do that. <laughs> and so that's how, I, that's how I learned to swim. In high school, I swam uh, butterfly. That was my stroke. And uh, someone like years into it, like three or four years into swimming, competitively with a stroke, someone asked me, how many times do you kick for each stroke? And I didn't know. I, <laughs> I had to jump in the water and and um, pay attention to how many times I kicked because I didn't think of it in that sense. It wasn't um, it wasn't a mental structure. It was all it was totally by feel. Much, much later that that was actually a form of mindfulness. And we can take activities that don't seem to be related to spirituality at all. And there is, if we're paying attention, focused on what's happening versus the story about should and shouldn't. I'm not saying coaching isn't helpful. I mean, I probably could have benefited from that. But th what I did learn was um, perhaps even more valuable. So that that's uh, that was one example. When I was growing up in high school, they had a pool table in the YMCA. I, I never played. Um, it sort of had a reputation, you know, certain kinds of kids played, you know, down at the Y. And uh, so I never did. But in college, for probably two and a half years, I got intrigued with this um, game of billiards, which is similar to pool, a little different. Um, but I'd play for, I don't know, four hours a day, maybe five. Part of it was an avoidance of studying, but um, it was it was quite intriguing. And what was intriguing about it was that it was the first time in my life that I experienced flow. When the flow was happening, um, you could play remarkably well, almost flawlessly. And then a thought might come in like, oh, I'm really playing well now. <laughs> and uh, and then it would break the break the flow, right? Because it 
it became um, uh, the, uh, a mental element was introduced into the activity. So that that was my first introduction to um, being able to uh, function um, in a, in a way that that um, seemed to have just a a flow to it, an ease to it. Um, and the difference between that and being in my head and thinking about what I was doing. So that I found that quite compelling, <laughs> compelling enough to spend four hours a day playing it. Um, okay, late 20s, um, I earned a living for several years painting houses. I, I never liked to use spray equipment, and that's, that was all too messy. So this was by hand brush, right, the sort of old-fashioned way. And so if you, I mean, I'd, I'd probably over those years, I, I think I counted up one time several hundred houses that I painted. That the skill of house painting, you can you can learn that in a few months, right? But I, I continued to do this over a period of time. And the activity was essentially looking at a blank wall all day. And your body knew how to do this. About your body knew how to paint, you know, move the brush, <laughs> get the paint on the brush and paint the house. So the body was engaged in a way that didn't require thinking. And so the mind was just, you were able to be all day with whatever arose in the mind. It was really a form of meditation. You know, just being, giving the body something to do that it knew how to do. And then there was, um, the only other thing happening was what was happening in the in the head. And you were present for that because there was nothing else to do other than look at a blank wall. Hours at a time. At the time I didn't know it was meditation. I just thought I, you know, it was a decent way to be outdoors and be independent and um, earn, you know, half decent money. So I, I was good with that. But years later, I recognized that uh, it really was a form of meditation that I did for eight, ten hours a day for over you know, four or five years. Okay. Um, so some. Um, some other examples that I that I wasn't involved in, but I find interesting. So, you know, if you watch um, basketball, some one of the things that have developed in basketball over the last maybe twenty years or so is um, this trash talk, right? People getting in each other's face, insulting them, insulting their mothers, whatever, and um, so. I mean, you can you can see that in terms of intimidation or aggressiveness or whatever, but it's really to get the other person in their head, right? Get them out of the zone and into thinking about something other than um, just being present with the game um, that their body is highly skilled at. So it's, it's just getting, you know, trying to seduce them back into their mind and um, get them out of the zone, right? So you can say, see the same thing with, uh, you know, old Western movies and gunfights on Main Street. You know, they they spend, they don't start shooting right away. They spend a, a minute or two sort of, um, you know, trying to get the other person off their game, you know, get the other person to be thinking about the, the consequences, you know, the possibility of their imminent death. <laughs> and so... I mean, that's the 
the purpose of it, you know, to throw the throw people off. You know, so we can see this in in different activities, um, but we can also notice it in our own lifetime, where we, um, you know, we can be engaged in in something, some activity, and there can be something that pulls us out of that activity and up into our thinking mind. You know, where we can create problems, where we can create opinions, where we can. Um, decide what other people should and shouldn't be doing. Um, you know, there's, you know, it gets us worked up. It gets us, um, you know, to into the idea of blame, you know, um, you know, whether we remember a person that we're not willing to forgive. I mean, there's, you know, we can be pulled out of our, our zone, our flow. So there was a, baseball player, I don't know, back in the back of ways, a few decades back, um, Reggie Jackson, he was called Mr. October. They played the World Series in October postseason games. And um, the reason he was called that is because when, you know, when he was in really clutch situations, um, he would hit a home run or win the game. And so it was um, sort of his ability to um, get beyond all of the uh, possible thoughts that could have occurred about, you know, what would happen if he succeeded or if he didn't, or if he failed, what would people think of him? You know, uh, you know, would it be good for his career? You know, I, I mean, all these things that you could possibly think about when what was really needed is just to be present for, the next pitch, right? That's what was required. So someone who was who could really succeed in those situations where it was really a clutch situation with a lot of you know consequences in the baseball world, um apparently sort of tune out all of those possible outcomes and just stay with that present moment and what was needed in that present moment to do his best, right? So, okay, let's see another example, uh, skiing. So, I mean, there's there's learning to ski. I mean, there's a certain um, level of conditioning that the body requires in order to, you know, the basics, learn how to learn how to ski. And then at, at some point, um, the body has become conditioned to know how to do that. And then what's what's the enjoyment from that point on is that the, you're you're sort of gazing downhill, and you're not thinking your way downhill. You're just present, sort of a wide panoramic vision of what's what's downhill, and um, and 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 moving as the terrain requires, right? And there's not, you you know, you can watch people that are um, trying to do it from their head, you know, trying to think about how they move this way or this foot or this, you know, leaning this way or that way. And and it, it, it looks contrived, you know, it, it doesn't look fun. Um, but if, if there's uh, sort of a being present with it without, 
you know, just dropping down from the head into just the the awareness and the perception and the body knows how to move. And then there's then there's great joy in that. So the same thing can be true with just um uh driving. I think I think most people enjoy driving, driving in a car, right? Maybe not in a city or traffic or but generally, you know, driving down a pleasant county road. Most most people I think find that enjoyable. And I think the reason is that um you don't have to think to do it, right? You, you learn the tra- traffic rules, okay. You learn how to operate the car, yes. But at some point, um, you can drive well, very well, just in being aware, gazing down the road in front of you. This is awareness, right? Awareness and the body's ability to perceive and your innate ability to be aware of what's being perceived by the mind. And then, then you react as needed. You know, if a car suddenly comes out of a side street, you react to that because that's within the field of awareness, within the perception of the body. So it, it's a pleasant activity because it, it doesn't require us to be operating from our head up. We don't have to be thinking about, um, you know, moving the steering wheel just so and how fast am I going and how long will it take me to stop and you know, we're not doing those calculations in our head. We're just we we have a sense of how to how to move in that environment, and the awareness um, is sufficient. We trust it. We do it already. We can function in perfectly well um, without without involving much thought. You know, we perceive, we see what's needed. The body knows how to move, and that's an enjoyable way to to live. And um, we need this mental superstructure to be imposed on life circumstances much less than we imagine that we do.